Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Twitter is a, is a powerful tool if used properly. So if you have something to say, say it. I, I, I you know, also think that you know, en masse, if there's ever a setting and, you know, people tried with the NFL unsuccessfully, uh, you know, don't go if there's, there, if there's a league or an event, uh, you know, organized constructively non-attendance. It is the dollars make a difference. It, it is to uh, deal appropriately with the sponsors that remain uh, once something negative occurs. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we speak to author, attorney, consultant, educator, and CEO of the Global Sport Institute and Adidas Distinguished Professor of Global Sport at Arizona State University, Professor Kenneth Tropshire. This guy has been in this business of sports and politics just as long as any head out there. I'm so excited to be able to talk to him for the first time on my show. He also wrote a book 30 years ago called In Black and White, Race and Sports in America. I want to ask him about that because that book played a huge role in shaping my own thinking. Also, I've got some choice words this week. It's a conversation. I'm talking the Super Bowl with Chuck Modiano, and we're going to have a discussion about is there an ethical side to root for this year in the Super Bowl? Kansas City Chiefs, San Francisco 49ers, is there a team to root for for the ethical sports fan? I've also got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down awards. But first, let's talk to Kenneth Shropshire. I'll just start. I mean, Professor, you wrote the book uh, In Black and White, Race and Sports in America. Where do you feel we are right now in the fight for a level playing field? Man, that was, that was a long time ago. <laughs> that was, uh, <laughs> you know, like so many things like that. I, I think I had uh, some degree of optimism then that things would be much better. I think uh, then I had things like uh, we just had Art Shell, so we'd had the first black coach in the National Football League. But if you think about it, that that was uh, you know we were at one or two then, and now we're at two. There were three African American head coaches, so not dramatic change there. I spent a lot of time talking about ownership and the absence of ownership by African-Americans and people of color. So that certainly has not changed uh, across the league. There's some presence, of course, in the NBA now. I, I will say then that you know a lot of what I focused on was the difficulty that was beginning uh, in terms of identifying actual racism and discrimination um, because it was no longer as overt as it had been historically. And I think, uh, especially in this NFL hiring season, that's really some of what we, we have to understand is that nobody's going to make the, well, it's going to be the rare case, uh, Donald Sterling. So the rare case that somebody's going to make the overt uh, racist commentary or, or tell you they are not hiring or playing someone because of their race. 
um, but it still occurs. So, you know, I'm, I'm with everybody else. It's, it's, there's certainly been progress, but we're in a, in a different kind of place now in terms of, of what happens. And we certainly have not had the great progress that many of us had hoped would happen in, in 20 or 30 years. Yeah, as you said, you wrote in black and white uh, around 30 years ago. Um, how it is, say, I'm sure, you know, your students are younger than 30, of course, most of your students. Like, what, what, what do you say when, when they ask you the question, why the stubbornness? Uh, why the lack of change? Why do sports even seem to be behind the curve of uh, other areas of, of U.S. life? I think that, you know, among young, young people in the, in the classroom and otherwise, you know, what's very interesting is um, there are um, certainly fewer uh, students that understand the issue in the way that students understood it 30 years ago because so few of them have, as I mentioned, overtly, directly felt racism or viewed it. And, and certainly, you know, the onslaught of uh, uh, murders of, of, of black men and black boys um, and, and, and women and, and girls uh, by police officers and others has kind of raised the issue. But even there, it's, it's well, that's in this, you know, these severe cases, these, these kinds of events. So the subtlety of of hiring in sport, the, the subtlety of, of who gets what position in sport. It, it's harder for for young people to to see unless unless they've taken time to step back and look at it and uh, read some of the great works that are out there. Or the, if they paid attention again during this, this hiring season, which, you know, of course, conflicted uh, narratively with the year of the black quarterback. So there was sort of this, you know, look at this great success we're having. When at the same time you end up with some of the great coaches available, not even getting interviews. Uh, one big change from 30 years ago is the number of frontline players, you know, thinking of LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and others who've actually taken a stance um, against racism or been public against police violence. Um, do students recognize what a sea change that is and that that is an element of change that we've seen? I, I think so. I, th- I think they, they certainly view um, LeBron as as unique, and and they see what kind of power exists. Where you know you think about the things that that you and I and others were writing about in kind of those those in between years, uh, you know, mm-hmm. from you know from your good friend John Carlos and and, and Tommy Smith and their actions in '68 and others uh, on drifting through the you know, the OJ Jordan kind of commercial moments where we're not going to get involved in, in politics or race issues. That's going to impact our, our income. So many of these students didn't experience that period of time uh, in in full awakeness of there not being athlete involvement. So they see that, Oh, you you can do this kind of thing. And, and in some ways, you know, it's, it's, it's almost become, commercialized in some sense when we saw that commercial um, uh, during the playoffs that the NFL had with Ancon Bolton and um, uh, the, the, the Players Coalition uh, putting forth um, the league in support of issues against uh, police violence and brutality that that didn't that hasn't happened but it you know it's also kind of um, interesting I guess we'll say as we watch it that, that you have uh, a commercial presence of uh, uh, activism um, that's not the independent activism of, of the past. Yeah, I'll be frank and say that I wasn't thrilled with that commercial. I mean, no presence of Colin Kaepernick, no uh, mea culpa or presence whatsoever that said, you know, this is the Dallas Police Department that actually perpetrated this. Uh, as Howard Bryant said on uh, Twitter, he said, not even a promise from the Dallas Police Department that, hey, we, we pledge not to kill you in our home, in your home. Um, but but do you think, is there a form of progress when, when the leagues take up these issues and attempt to uh, repackage them to, to show that they're conscious or we could call it woke marketing or whatever? Or does it actually defang the power that these movements have when athletes speak independently? Yeah, no, that's that, that's interesting. I mean, it's certainly less uh, uh, 
meaningful in the tra- traditional way. I mean, I don't think we can deny there's some form of impact. There's some form of um, uh, it's in the atmosphere. There's some form of, of of presenting a narrative that this exists out there that um, individuals didn't always have the power to do. Is that what's going to cause uh, a movement, or is it beneficial for, as we were talking about in the classroom, uh, for people that don't experience it directly? Is it just another way for them to see these kinds of things happen? So for that value, um, yes. But in terms of, you know, as we know, you know the protest is, is really most effective when, when there's a realization that someone is sacrificing Someone's mm-hmm. doing something else. Someone is risking something. So, you know, the NFL can, you know, uh, to a great degree, kind of do whatever they want to do. Uh, and it certainly was not, uh, as, you know, as Howard, Howard Bragg pointed out, it certainly wasn't anything uh, radical in terms of, of what was stated. It was, you know, this, this is a bad thing and it, and it shouldn't happen. And, and you're right, there were no mea culpas and this won't happen again. And we're stepping forward to, to claim, uh, accept responsibility and that sort of thing. Now, I, I teach a sports history class at Montgomery College here, and I was just wondering if you share this struggle. Like, sometimes I talk about 1968, and I might as well be talking about 1868 or 1768. There's no sense of, of recency or historical knowledge of that recency. And the students you're getting, I mean, I, I have a feeling you're, you're, I teach just a 190 class. It's like an intro history class, so I have to teach a lot of history. But are the students you're getting, are they, are they conscious of the history when they walk into the room, or are you dealing with some blank slates that you have to fill in the pieces? A lot, lots of blank slates, yeah. It, it, it's really, and I don't think, you know, I, I guess it's it's the equivalent of, but anyway, well, maybe it's not the equivalent. I was going to say it's the equivalent of, of you know me as a kid growing up in the '60s, '70s, um, uh, looking at you know World War One or World War Two. Um, but but in fact, you know you 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 kind of got uh, bombarded with that history. You know, whether you got the right history or not, that's another, another question. But but you got a lot of it, and I think '68, uh, just like the you know the revival, uh, uh, the reincarnation of of John and Tommy and, and of Ali uh, as, 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 he, as he became later in life. Um, you know, the real understanding of what was going on was, was is not always there. It is of these, uh, uh, these, now they're heroes. And, and to really understand what was going on then is it takes a class for them to understand the, the deeper uh, back history um, uh, to understand you know what Wyoming ties was going through as a, as a black woman in, in that setting to understand what was happening in the cities to understand about this you know as, as you've written about so well what was happening with the the, the students that at the Mexican universities I mean to understand the whole uh, setting of, of 68 and what was going on yeah I, I think they they walk in with some awareness of it yeah not even having seen the poster as much as, as we did as kids, but some awareness that there was this, this activity, but the details not there. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you found this the case, but to me I feel like without the existence of Muhammad Ali, I'd be like somebody in a boat without a paddle because that's the one person everybody's heard of. I can show clips. I can educate about like the actual history of Ali, and there, there, there's an electric connection between Ali and young people, where then I'm, then I can introduce people like Wyoming Atias and, and and John and Tommy and and people of that generation. But um, I've found that Ali is is like this transmission belt of the of of the history. Have you found that to be the case? Yeah, that, that's interesting. You know, I I love Ali so much. I I I probably take a lot of time. Anyway, I'm hearing what you're saying. Maybe assuming. So there's a lack of knowledge there as well, especially of the of the uh, the, the, the negative uh, in the moment feelings about him. That I don't know how well that's conveyed. I mean, I, I am, you know, the to me one of the the most and you and I may have discussed this at some point. The most disgusting moments in in sport was uh, the reaction of people when Ali lit the torch in Atlanta. It was. It was 
you know, I understand the emotional kind of uh, uh, the fragility of the man at that time, but that was as the the turn was fully made that oh, this 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 guy he's you know, he's harmless now, and we should feel for him. I mean, it was, it was really something just was not right about that, um, and, and something to me was I was wondering how many people in that moment had had not known um, the the early Ali. Mm. So, but but yeah, I, I I I agree with you though. Know, he he is you know as we know certainly in in the day the most famous athlete in the world and and probably you know overall still you know with Jordan kind of you know hovering out there still in some ways across the globe and in, in remote parts probably Ali is still still there. I had a student who had never heard of Michael Jordan for the first time this year, and you know this particular student that two two interesting things about this student is uh, one, uh, they were born in 2002, just to give an idea of how young they were. So, I mean, so when they're born, Jordan's a wizard, basically, (laughs) on his last hurrah. Um, And and the other thing that that was just uh, really interesting about it was this was one of my top students. Like, this was somebody who aced every exam, every essay, but didn't have a working knowledge of sports. They actually did come in with, with some history knowledge, and they were great writers and, and all the rest of it, but no knowledge of Michael Jordan. And yeah, there were people in class who were like, you never heard of Michael Jordan? Are you serious? And then I, I, I tweeted it, and people like didn't believe me. And I was just saying, like, hey, you have to realize we're, we're, getting, we're getting older. <laughs> and so the, the the memory isn't as sticky for people born in 2002. But I, I don't know if you've gotten this question from students, um, but when I speak to them about the persistence of racism in sports, the institutionalization of racism in sports, they always ask the question, well, you know, we're fans. What can fans do to be part of this fight to see change? Is there a role for fans or are we just passive consumers of sports? Speak up. I mean, I think that that's it. I mean, you know, Twitter is a is a powerful tool if used properly. So if you have something to say, say it. I, 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 you know, also think that you know, on mass, if there's ever a setting, and you know, people tried with the NFL unsuccessfully, uh, you know, don't go if there's there if there's a league or an event, uh, you know, organized constructively, non-attendance. It is the dollars that make a difference. It, it is to uh, deal appropriately with the sponsors that remain uh, once something negative occurs. So, so there's, a, there's a lot to be done, but it, but it all comes with, as, as we know, making sure you understand what the issues are before you, before you take action. Mm, so education is actually a critical component if fans want to see anything change. Now, um, you've been so patient with your time. I, I got to, but I, there are some questions I really do want to ask you just um, – You've interacted with a lot of athletes over the years. Um, have you ever been nervous knowing you were going to meet somebody? <laughs> uh, no. You know, and it's funny, you talk about Ali. I probably, if I had been given some preparation time, I may have been nervous in, in meeting him. But the first time I met him was... Uh, uh, to show you my past life, I was actually uh, working at the venue at the '84 Olympics at, the, at a boxing competition, and he came in with an entourage, and uh, you know, kind of just, just snuck up behind me in a playful kind of way. I looked around, and, and there was Ali. So I so I say that say I didn't have time to be nervous, but I, you know, I, rarely am I. Wow, you know, I'm, I'm going to meet this athlete, but but that was. Uh, that was a special moment, and and, and I remember, you know, I was a, a man at, at that time. But he took time and was you know, doing a lot of other stuff. But he realized I was uh, this African American man that was you know, had some position of authority at this venue, and he took a few minutes with me. Not to ask too much of an inside baseball question, but I'm kind of obsessed with that '84 boxing team, and I just got to ask you, like in person, you have. Mark Breland, Evander Holyfield, Pernell Whitaker, Henry Tillman, Meldrick Taylor. Did anybody who who was most impressive in person? Boy, you know Paul Gonzalez definitely had the, the personality of, mm. of all those guys. 
Um, the, but you know, in the moment, and, and since you, you know, it is a real inside inside boxing. But the but the the guy you thought was going to go the furthest was was Mark Breland. I mean, you really did think he was going to be something special. Um, uh, you know, the acting career, boxing, and Gonzalez was probably second. And you remember there was not uh, uh, yeah Tillman won the heavyweight gold, and traditionally that's that's the the weight class that. That uh, that went went forward, um, and I guess we did. Did we have a, was there a super heavy then? I can't recall. Um, but but it just didn't happen. Heavier weights or a lot of the lower weight guys. Um, and you know, and think about it. Evander wins. What he went silver. Uh, I think he was bronze because uh, he bronze, was bronze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we did. And and Evander was uh, okay. And Evander, you know, of that group of all these these great guys uh, that are still surviving. I mean, he is he is a guy that that made it the furthest. Mm-hmm. What happened to Mark Breland? Because I really did. I was a kid at the time. I had his picture cut out and pasted to my wall. I thought he was going to be Sugar Ray two point oh. As you mentioned, yeah. he, he was an actor. He was in Lords yeah. of Discipline. I mean, what what happened to Mark Breland? Great looking guy. You know, he was still around for a long long time. I'm sure, you know, I guess he still is. He was. I ended up uh, representing Henry Tillman. So I got to know those guys a little bit better as as a as a lawyer, and Mark would be around. And when uh, when Henry ended up being incarcerated, uh, Mark was still around, very helpful. Actually, Mark and and Mike Tyson. Mike was uh, going through his own problems, but Mike hit. You know, Tillman had, as you know, Tillman beat Mike Tyson. For people who don't know who Henry Tillman is, Henry Tillman beat Mike Tyson twice to qualify. For 84 games so they had a special special bond and, and then Tyson then beat him as a professional in like 80 seconds or something like that mm-hmm. uh, but Tyson was always around uh, there as well but but Breland was still in the crew with those guys um, but I yeah in recent years I don't know where he is mm. now I asked you about had you ever been nervous in interacting with an athlete what, what athlete has um, over impressed you like you met them you knew that they were bringing something to the table, you know, above, above between the ears, and then, but then you met them, and you were like, "Whoa, that that is that is a deep individual. That person is bringing a lot to the table and understanding sports, society, and their place in it." Well, I, I'll tell you, the guy, the guy who's been most consistent, and I don't, you know, we don't always agree on on some steps, and he's you know employed now by the National Football League. I knew him as a player and on the on the PA side, and now believe that Troy Vincent. Detroit, in some ways, does uh, uh, exceed expectations of. You know, you look at his background and the things he he had been through as a kid uh, to to be in the leadership position he's in now. As I said, I don't always you know agree with everything. Sort of a it's not not as extreme, but kind of you know McCainish in kind of a way that uh, I'm not always with you, but but you 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 seem to be uh, straight and, and focused and sincere in what you believe. Mm. And looking forward, like w- w- what's next, the next 10 years? Do you see a Kaepernick effect rippling forward in sports where you're going to see more athletes use their platform to say something about the world? Or, or do you think we're in some sort of backlash period where it's going to be more difficult for athletes to speak out? Yeah. Well, you know, with the, with the IOC uh, uh, putting down the, the hammer saying, you know, it's not going to happen. In, in my mind, it's teed up for more to happen. <laughs> that that yeah. that, uh, uh, that if you are going to uh, speak out, if you are going to protest in some way, everybody has rules now to prevent you from from doing so. Except for the except for the NFL, it's still you know laying laying low. But you know, the, and, and kneeling may not be the way in the NFL anymore. There there are other paths to take. So so I do think, uh, and what we've witnessed, of course, is. Anytime social issues directly impact athletes, uh, that's when there's the greatest chance that they will begin to engage more. So um, uh, I feel a lot, especially in this country, will hinge on how this next election goes. And, and, and if Trump is back in office, uh, then I can't imagine that there's not greater activity by, by the athletes. I, I just hope that the athletes that are concerned find a constructive way to uh, get people to vote 
uh, in a way that that uh, uh, puts our country back on the right track. Mm. And again, I, I'm so grateful for your time. One thing I ask all my guests is what kind of music they listen to, particularly when they're trying to think through the issues, like the kind we talked about here. So, Professor Shropshire, what, 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 what's what's on your playlist? Well, as as uh, uh, my buddy and, and and I talk about uh, our kids, I'll ask us one question: When did you stop listening to new music? Ah, and so. <laughs> So I stopped listening to new music uh, uh, probably 70s, 80s. I mean, I'm stuck in, uh, you know, uh, Motown, early R&B, and, uh, you know, I'm on the cusp of hip-hop, but don't quite quite get into it. So so, so that, that's where I am. If, if, you, if you come into my office, um, uh, you, you will probably hear that. You, you may, depending on how bad things are, hear some, some gospel, uh, but, but yeah, for sure it will be music from a few decades back. I interviewed a NFL player, Justin Jackson, last week, and he said he listens to the Gap Band, and that, that, that gave me a lot of hope. And the Isley Brothers. There you go. <laughs> that just gave me a lot of hope for the future. <laughs> Professor Shropshire, I, I really do appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Okay, Dave. Anytime. Take care. That was Professor Kenneth Shropshire. We'll be back right after this with word from a new podcast from The Nation magazine. And now a quick word for a new podcast being sponsored by The Nation magazine, and it's called More Than Enough. Look, when Mia Birdsong first heard about the concept of a guaranteed income in the mid-90s, she thought it sounded absurd. But in the writings of Martin Luther King Jr., Birdsong found stirring denunciations of a society that left Americans, both black and white, perishing on a lonely island of poverty. King's solution was to provide a basic level of material well-being to allow all Americans to truly flourish. Most of us believe that having a job makes you a whole person, but for Birdsong, who delivered the popular 2015 TED Talk, The Story We Tell About Poverty Isn't True, it took her years of discussion to unlearn what she thought she knew about economic inequality, jobs, and money. As Birdsong notes, Free money went against everything I'd learned about being a respectable citizen. But people change, and our ideas evolve. I no longer think guaranteed income is absurd. From the Nation, More Than Enough is a four-episode podcast that explores the concept of guaranteed income, or universal basic income, through conversations with people who are themselves living on the lonely island of poverty. We invite you to listen to these underexplored conversations with Americans about universal basic income, what it is, what it means, and what it says about a culture that so closely correlates deservedness with work. Join Birdsong as she explores the idea of the meaning of work, of inequality, and most importantly, of what America is and what it can be. More than enough. It already launched on January 15th. It's outstanding podcasting. Please check it out. And now... Back to the Edge of Sports podcast. So, Chuck, we're talking about the Super Bowl. San Francisco 49ers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. And before we, I ask who the conscious sports fan should root for, first and foremost, I got a couple questions for you. Now, you, you unlike me, have actually been to a Kansas City Chiefs game. Can you many talk times. about what that's Many times. Many times. Why many times? Because I have family in Kansas City, and we just you know, decided to coincidentally plan our trips around uh, the Chiefs games. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, I've been there probably maybe five or six times, and they have as incredible a fan base as far as getting into it and, 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 and volume as any that I've ever seen. Wow. Um, so, I mean, their fans are into it. And when there's a first down, what's the reaction? <laughs> right. So so everyone on their feet, they'll say, another Kansas City Chiefs. And everyone will be on their feet. And they'll say, first down. And, I mean, it'll be loud. And then um, earlier this year, I was at a Lions game. And I noticed the, the announcers did the same thing. And they said, and another Lions. And you heard a whimper, first down. Mm. You know, so I saw, like, the the gap between what real fans do and what fans who've been beaten down for 50 years um, act like. Wow. So there's a lot to go through here. I want to ask you before we we get through anything, uh, who who you actually like in this game. I mean, I know it's people usually make their picks closer to game time, but 
Um, I want to, in case you're not here next yeah. week, I want to get your pick right now. I'm going to go with Kansas City. I mean, it's going to be tough because you've got that tough 49ers line. Um, I mean, that whole line is pretty incredible. But Mahomes is pretty incredible. And if there's anyone who could navigate that line and be mobile and throw from a crazy angle outside the pocket that you Mm -hmm. may need to navigate that line, um, it's Mahomes. I mean, obviously, Rodgers had trouble with them. Um, I I think Mahomes can do it. But, you know, I'll be honest, it's it's an up-in-the-air one for me just because of that, that Kansas City line. Wow. So now we got to go through uh, I mean, the 49ers. difficult question of yeah. who the conscious sports fan should root for. Yeah. Because, I mean, let, let me just lay a couple things out. We, out. On this show, we're incredibly critical of the Washington football team's name. Sure. Uh, it's a racial slur. Uh, Native American appropriation goes into uh, a lot of the garb that's worn at games. Um, it's a name that's supported by Donald Trump, who mm-hmm. said he doesn't think it should change. And it, it's also the name locally people might know um, was a symbol of segregation because the team was the last team to integrate. And mm-hmm. so when they were uh, having to segregate, when they were forced to segregate by – I mean integrate, I should say, by the federal government, Nazis actually marched with the slogan, keep the R skins white. And that was their slogan. Right. People can see these signs and these pictures up on the internet. Um that was back in the early 1960s. But it would be hypocritical to blast the Washington Slurskins and not say something about the Kansas City Chiefs because already uh, Na- Native American writers have talked about uh, the tomahawk chop that's right. done it's in a, the game about the way some of the fans dress up as well. Yes. Uh, headdresses and the like. And they say, you know, this is not honor, this is minstrelsy. Yes. And so we have to factor that in. Sure. When we talk about who the conscious sports fan should root for in this game. Sure. Now, another thing we got to factor in, uh, I think, is the fact that the the Kansas City Chiefs have – I mean, in, I, I wish this wasn't a political thing, but they right. have both a mobile quarterback and a quarterback of African descent. Yes. Uh, and the quarterback position is still – as we've seen, a lightning rod position when it comes to uh, people who like to make white supremacist arguments about what makes a good quarterback. Sure. So you want to see Patrick Mahomes succeed just to sure. shut up the bigots. Yes, and I'll throw in a third. There are only two African-American coordinators, and Eric Bieniemy has um, been the offensive coordinator two offensive coordinators for the most prolific offense the last couple of years. So you throw that in as well. The enemy being the OC of the Kansas the City Chiefs. Chiefs. Correct. So when I look at it, when you're first of all, I think you critique all of it. You critique the Chiefs. You critique the Tomahawk chop. You 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 say out loud why this is wrong and you use the Super Bowl to educate the, the the masses, as we always try to do every time there's a spotlight on one of these uh, teams that have Native American slurs. So you do that. But if you're asking me what will actually have real world impact, I don't believe the Chiefs winning or losing will actually have much impact in that area post the game. But what I do believe is that any time, like you said, I'm, it's too bad we have to say this, that a, a, a black quarterback or, or, or an offense coordinator wins, unfortunately, it does have an effect because people will see the Super Bowl winner and make future decisions based on that Super Bowl winner. We mm. are not here. So that will literally have an impact because a lot of the GMs and a lot of the fans uh, um, are so myopic and, and, and either subliminally racist in their thinking that it actually will make a difference. So I have to root for that. Now, the flip side with the 49ers, we got to make their case as well. San Francisco 49ers, the team of Colin Kaepernick. Yes. Although they're trying to pretend like he doesn't exist. Right. And that he didn't take the team to the Super Bowl a few years ago. It's been actually very bizarre. Like Raheem Mostert sets a record for rushing yards for the 49ers in a playoff game. Whose record does he break? Colin Kaepernick's. They don't mention (laughs) that on the broadcast. Very weird. They're trying really, really hard to pretend he never existed. Now, one thing, though, about the 49ers, you know, we got to say it's it's obviously the issue of black coaching is a very distinct issue. Yes. But that has to do very much with the issue of blackness and anti-blackness as it exists in the NFL. And you don't want to hide anything under the issue, under the umbrella of diversity or people Mm -hmm. of color, the words that are used. It's very much an anti-blackness issue. I do feel like saying, though, that the defensive coordinator of the 49ers, Robert Salah, is a 
as of Lebanese descent. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, there's something about seeing the Lebanese brother do well that's, yes. you know, in this world. Where... And, do you, and do you think he'll get that credit or will Kyle Shanahan be the next genius and five people who he's met in the bathroom get hired next year? Uh, I think it's probably the latter, which then gets to the other question that I got to ask you about is when we're trying to figure out who's the more conscious choice for this mm-hmm. Super Bowl game, doing a compare and contrast to these coaches. Yeah. Kyle Shanahan, I want to give, what are your thoughts about Kyle Shanahan? I have a lot of thoughts of Kyle Shanahan. I'll try to make it brief. Um, I don't have to make it brief. I'm really trying to figure this out myself. <laughs> Any okay. data you could bring to the conversation okay. is well, something well, I want to hear. Well, first of all, um, Kyle Shanahan, not Pete Carroll by a long shot, made the biggest bonehead decision that I could think of in Super Bowl history. And that was when he had a game locked up. He was the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons, and he was calling the plays. And all he had to do is run the ball. If there was no yardage, then you kick a 45-yard field goal, game over, Brady can't come back. It's all you had to do but his ego got in the way he wanted to win his way um because a lot of um coaches don't just want to win they want to get credit for the victory so he got aggressive um matt ryan got sacked they came out of field goal range it was it's ridiculous that this doesn't go down in history as like the worst call because you literally had it wrapped up okay so here's what i was saying 28 to 3 28 to 3 i mean it was just so stupid and ego driven here's the good thing apart about shannon and i believe he's he's learned from that and the reason i believe he's learned from that is because he's been running the ball a lot during the playoffs mm-hmm. he could be trying to i want to show how i made jimmy g into this great quarterback and he hasn't done that run the ball it's working it's a somewhat old school he's winning with defense he they call him his great offensive offensive uh, mind he's winning in a very old school way that yeah. people have won for decades. There's nothing new he's doing. He's not so innovative as I like to say. He's got a great defensive line and he's running the ball well. Yeah. So that's throwing old the school. ball to the tight end. Throwing the ball that's to the their tight end. Weapon. Exactly. What what my problem with Shanahan is the is very similar to what happened with McVay last is the Sean McVay. Let's all explain everybody. Sean McVay, yeah. the coach of the Los the Angeles. The coach Rams. of the Los Angeles. He was anointed after two years the greatest genius who ever lived. First of all, you shouldn't evaluate any NFL coach until five years in the game. I don't know if people know, but Kyle Shanahan lost an awful lot of games in the last two years. An awful lot. In fact, he was rewarded for losing an awful lot of games because they gave him Nick Bosa. So you get one All-Pro there. Then you get another All-Pro with D. Ford on the line so, so, because you get him in free agency. And then Richard Sherman comes back from a severe injury. It takes another year. You get a third All-Pro. So we've added three All-Pros to this 49ers team. That is the reason. The defense is the reason why they're so great. Okay, But, but it's very important to say that Kyle Shanahan, was given something that a black coach was almost never given. He was given a chance to lose a couple of years first to get those high pa- high draft picks. Brian Flores of Miami might be the first African-American coach in history to get a rebuild going in day one knowing it's a rebuild, not having to work a miracle right away. So we have to talk about his Kyle Shanahan's privilege going back to his father who puts him on at 28 years old and gets to bump his head many years, as we saw in D.C., and was Awful. So he gets to be awful. And then we I think he's learned from some of his mistakes, but I don't want Kyle Shanahan to win because of the media reaction to Kyle Shan- Shanahan, which I believe will end up denying more black coaches jobs where Eric Bieniemy unfortunately doesn't get to lose a Super Bowl and get hot hi- gets hired. He may have to win because you have to do twice as much to get uh, to go half as far as the saying goes. Wow. Well, it very well put some hot fire there. I mean, and then on the contrast of that, you've got Andy Reid. I love Andy. All right, talk to me. Why do you love Andy Reid? I think he's a great coach. I don't think we should measure coaches on Super Bowls, which are basically is arbitrary luck. You know, any any like like eighty percent of Super Bowls could be overturned on one uh, arbitrary play. But what Andy Reid does is wherever he goes, and no matter what quarterback he has, he adapts to them. Mm-hmm. He adapts to McNabb. He adapts to Michael Vick. Changed the offense for Michael Vick, who had his greatest year under Andy Reid. Alex Smith had some 
fine years mm-hmm. under Andy Reid. And what's interesting about Alex Smith, what it was rare that you'll ever see, he became this super mobile quarterback in his 30s that he ran his rushing yards double, like more in his 30s than his 20s, which is the opposite because normally you're you're faster in your 20s. Andy Reid said, wait, I got some mobility here with Alex Smith. It's been untapped. It's been unused. Let me use it. So he gets the most out of Alex Smith, who was a couple plays away from maybe going far. And then he comes over and changes his game uh, 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 offensive Mahomes. He takes the strengths of his quarterback and moves forward. And a, a um, Super Bowl has eluded him, but I think as any coach, he deserves it. Yes, he gets crushed on clock management. Who does? What coach doesn't? Yes, there's some reasons for it in the past, but I think he's a great coach, and I would love to see him get his uh, due. And I got to say, the, the, the nepotism piece with Kyle Shanahan, it, it does rub the wrong way a little yeah. bit. It does, even if he is a good coach and the like of it, because um, the the nepotism pipeline is so powerful in the NFL. Yeah. Yet the pipeline, not just to former players yeah. who are black, but what if you're just like an incredible black football mind who happens to be black? Like, yeah. like wh- where's the avenue there? There is no avenue. It's unbelievable. There, there is no avenue. You know, um, when we talk about, uh, well, let me just stay on Andy Reid for a second, because I really, really. Um, like Andy Reid, and I'll say this, a lot of coaches, um, whether they know it or not, they're biased. And I don't think Andy Reid is that. When you look at his history with black quarterbacks and black assistants and things like that, he was trying to um, give, give people a fair chance. And Eric Bieniemy, who's under him, it's funny. I did a tweet where I could have got 50, like, uh, 50 retweets, ended up blowing up, got like 10,000. And I got what? to get hundreds of responses, right, on Eric Bieniemy. What was hundreds. the tweet? Do you remember what you wrote? Yeah, it was basically I showed a video of Eric Bieniemy on the sideline, right, and saying, "Hey, you know what? Um, he, Eric Bieniemy has been the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs the last two years. Dear GMs, you might want to hire this guy, right?" And it got flooded with hundreds of pushback. So I got this like this pushback to hear what people were saying over and over and over. And it was ridiculous what critics were saying. They, they were holding him such a higher standard. We were hearing, well, can you take Mahomes with me? Well, can Joe Judge take Tom Brady with him to the Giants? Mm. You know, why, why, why do you got to take, why don't you get any credit? We heard he doesn't call all the plays in the Andy Reid offs. I'm telling you, I've heard this a couple of hundred times. Oh, really? But Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy had the same relationship as offensive coordinator for Andy Reid, and they seem to have jobs. Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl, so we have a higher standard about um, um, uh, 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 enemy having to call plays than these other people. You're just making stuff up now. And then you know, some people say, did you ever think, I'm telling you, over 100 or 200, say, did you ever think maybe he didn't want the job, that maybe he's happy as the Kansas oh uh, Chiefs coordinator? I'm like, no, I didn't, because he's been on five interviews in the last couple of years, but they gave the, the job to Joe Judge and Matt Rule. So if you actually did That's one so bit annoying. of research, yeah. It's, he doesn't want the job. What coordinators want to be a head coach? So yeah. if he's, uh, I'm a little angry right now because I saw hundreds of these, and th- what these were were justifications for discrimination mm. on a double standard. And the people who were saying it did, probably didn't even know that they were having this racist double standard. And that's the most frustrating part. Yeah, I, I could see that. My goodness. I mean, and I got to say, like, another part when we look at this is the Shanahan family – they're Trumpists. They're yeah. big right wingers. They're big Republican yeah. Party people. Yes. Uh, Nick Bosa, uh, who <laughs> their star defensive player, is a big MAGA head and the yeah. like. And you know, I wish this wasn't the case, but it is the case. When these teams are successful, it provides political platforms yeah. for the people involved. Thank you so much, Chuck Modiano. One thing that we didn't talk about that I think we do need to speak of is Katie Sowers, who's an offensive assistant coach with the San Francisco 49ers, the first woman to coach in the Super Bowl, and she's part of the LGBTQ community. So that's another factor on the ethical side of the San Francisco 49ers. Frankly, this year I feel like it's a wash. So if you're feeling one way or the other or not feeling one way or the other, I say just kick back, enjoy. But one thing you should definitely do is avoid the pregame show because the pregame show is going to include an interview on Fox between Sean Hannity and Donald Trump. And you have to look at this as just an utter unequivocal slap in the face to the majority of this country that wants Trump removed from office. It's a big middle finger by Rupert Murdoch and the NFL towards its fans. Uh, So just something to keep in mind as you watch the big game. 
We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and, and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. All right, now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up and just sit your ass down. The Just Stand Up Award is easy this week because we heard that a former guest on the Edge of Sports podcast, who also happens to be one of the great uh, basketball players to ever live, Maya Moore, is going to take a second year off from the WNBA in her prime. She's taking a second year off because she's working to free a man named Jonathan Irons, who she and her family believe has been jailed uh, unfairly, that he's an innocent man behind bars, and they are fighting to free Jonathan Irons. They feel like his case is rife with racism and prejudice, and they are going to go in there and fight the fight to see that Jonathan Irons sees the light of day. And she's giving up years of her career to make that happen. To me, this is a story that hasn't been covered nearly enough. I mean, imagine if Michael Jordan, instead of going to play baseball, decided to fight for Mumia Abu-Jamal instead. I mean, that's what we're talking about with Maya Moore. And only the fact that she's a woman prevents this from being a cover of Sports Illustrated type story. So the Just Stand Up Award this week goes to the great Maya Moore. But just sit your ass down. Sit your ass down. Sit your ass down. This week goes to cross-country skiing. I want to read... Uh, yes, I said that correctly. Cross-country skiing. Uh, and the way that the people who run cross-country skiing, who are known as the FIS, uh, the way they're dealing with global warming right now. I mean, the FIS should be a voice against global warming because it holds the potential to actually eliminate skiing in the world because there would be no snow. Yet that's not what they're doing. And I received this email from somebody who works with the FIS, and I'm not allowed to use their name, but I want to read what they had to say. I take care of the U.S. cross-country ski team as a sports medical doctor. More often, venues are devoid of snow. The solution? Banking snow in heavier snow years. In other words, venues will scoop up snow, dump it in a hole in the ground, cover it with straw, and then in a low snow year, dig it back up and lay down a ribbon of snow through a green alpine pasture, all while burning gallons of diesel. What an incredible example of ostrichism by the FIS. That means, you know, an ostrich sticking their head in the sand. And make no mistake, while cross-country skiing is a recreational sport in the U.S., it's big business in Europe. Sadly, though, Athletes in the sport aren't doing anything other than donating some money or putting up an Instagram post about how the team is dedicated to not using disposable plastic water bottles. I've spoken to some of the athletes and coaches on the team, bringing up the idea of an athlete-wide strike at a warm race sometime, but no one wants to risk their career for that. Keep the politics out of Nordic skiing is their line, at least for now. I'm hopeful that some of the younger skiers will start to see the absurdity of the World Cup racing circuit, which has a massive carbon footprint, jetting hundreds of athletes and staff around Europe and North America, only to ski on snow that is two years old, spread by diesel power trucks for the benefit of the sponsors. Looking forward to the time when the athletes finally say, no natural snow, no race. And that email was sent to me as a response from the person listening to last week's Edge of Sports podcast where I spoke about uh, the wildfires in, and the bushfires in Australia and its effect on the Australian Open. So thank you so much for that email. We love getting emails from listeners. You just have to hit me up at edgeofsports at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at edgeofsports. Well, I really want to thank Professor Kenneth Shropshire uh, for joining us this week. Thank you so much to The Nation Magazine, who is the sponsor of this podcast. If you like this show, there are things you can do. Tell a friend. Tell a friend's friend. Tell an enemy. Tell them there's a sports and politics podcast that they should listen to. 
Also, go to iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. Leave a rating. Do something like that. Write a little graph that you like the show. All that stuff helps so much. For everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.